0: I'm gonna share with you this week about the power of faith-filled words. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 11 and I'm gonna start with this verse. I'm not gonna go very far into this verse tonight, but I will come back to it. But recently I was ministering in our Bible college and I just mentioned in passing about how important your words are and faith is released by words, and most people are hung by the tongue. And I made mention of some of these things, and I had a student come up and say, do you have a teaching on this? And I said, well, I had a teaching on it. I had a whole series on it about 35 years ago. I taught this real strong, and I haven't retaught it in 35 years. I refer to it often and he says, you need to make a series on this. And I said, my, my old teaching that I've done is so old that we don't even have it available anymore. We don't reproduce it. And, and as uh, he spoke that to me, I felt like this was the Lord speaking to me. And I just want to share with you some things about how you release your faith through words. Now that sounds like that that's really all you need to hear right there. But boy, there's so much more to it than that. So I've got five sessions this week that I'm going to be talking And uh, I'm going to be talking about how this factors into everything that we do and receive from God. And most people do not understand this. You can tell that by the way that they talk. When I have people come to me and share with me what's going on in their life, I tell you sometimes it's just like there's no point in me even praying for them because they've already destroyed their answer with the negative words that they say and the things that they do. And I know some of you think, but I'm just telling you the facts. I'm just telling you the truth. Well, I hesitate to say this unless I turn you off before we get started. But hopefully by the end of this message, you'll see that what you're doing, you're absolutely digging your own grave with your tongue. You're gonna have what you say. And it's important that you understand some of these principles that the word of God teaches about your speech. So let me just read this one passage to you. I'll come back to this in greater detail. But in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus answered their question. He had cursed the fig tree and the fig tree just died. He never touched it. He didn't put salt on it. He didn't dig it up. He didn't do anything. He just spoke to this fig tree. And 24 hours later, this fig tree was dead, dried up from the roots. And his disciples saw it. They marveled at it. And they were, uh, let me just back up here in Mark chapter 11 and in verse 20, uh, verse 20, it says, and in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and Peter calling to remember saith unto him, master the fig tree, which thou cursed is withered away. You know, we don't have the benefit when you read this of hearing the inflection of his voice and how he said this, but I can guarantee you, Peter didn't just say, master The fig tree that you cursed is withered away. I believe that what he was doing was, master, look, the fig tree is withered away. He was just shocked. He was overwhelmed because Jesus didn't touch it. He didn't do anything. He just spoke to it and he was shook to see that just by talking to a fig tree, that the thing could totally die. And we also don't have the benefit of hearing Jesus inflection of his voice in verse 22. But I can guarantee you Jesus didn't just say, have faith in God. It was probably more like, Peter, what's wrong with you? How long have I been with you? Have faith in God. When are you gonna start believing God? In other words, it shouldn't shock you that if you go up to a tree and just say you're dead, it shouldn't shock you that in a 24 hour period of time, that tree's dead. And yet if that was to happen, most of us would be just shocked. Jesus is saying, why don't you have faith in God? This is how faith operates. This is very important that you understand these things. He says, have faith in God. And then in verse 23, he says, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now this is Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who operated perfectly in the power and in the faith of God. And he is giving us instructions on how to release your faith and see miraculous things happen. This is the same Jesus who said, the works that I do shall you do also. He had just spoken to a fig tree. And he says, look, this isn't limited to this fig tree. You could go out here and say to this mountain, and I personally don't believe that it's limited to fig trees or mountains. I believe that Jesus was just basically saying, you can say this to anything. He was just saying, you could say to it. And he looked around and here's the Mount of Olives. You could say to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea. It's not limited to a mountain or a fig tree. It's just anything. Anything that you say, if you say it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you can have whatsoever you say. But three times in this verse, he emphasized that the way you release your faith, the way you have faith in God and see the miraculous power of God is through the words that you speak. Three times he said that. And yet most people do not understand the power of our words. And because of it, we aren't employing it. We aren't taking advantage of what God has done in our life. And so this is what I want to talk about all week. I'll come back to this in more detail later. But this just shows you that Jesus said, whosoever, every person in here is a whosoever. There's not a single person excluded. He didn't just say men. He didn't say women. He didn't say old, young, strong, weak. He didn't make any qualifications. If you're breathing, then this means that whosoever will grab hold of these truths and say to anything and not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say comes to pass, you will have whatsoever you say. No qualifications. It's absolutely true. And most people don't believe that. They think that's too simple. But I tell you, one of the things that I've learned is that the gospel is so simple, you got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. It really is simple and we've become sophisticated and we've complicated things, but it really is simple. So I just want to talk to you about the simplicity of just the words that you speak and how you get yourself to where you start believing in the power of these words. First of all, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 and I want to show you, this This is so important. If you've never seen this or even if you have seen it, you need to be reminded of this, but you need to be reminded that God is the one who started this whole thing. God is the one that created everything. It's his faith. I have a teaching on this. I'm not going to go into detail on this, but I have a teaching that the faith that we are using is not our faith in God. But the scripture says, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. This is Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He didn't say, I live by putting faith in the Son of God. He said, I am living by the faith of the Son of God. Now, if you're reading the nearly inspired version, it says, faith by faith in the son of God. But I'm telling you, if you study it out, especially in verse 20, uh, verse, let's see, that's over in Galatians. I forget the exact verse number, but three times in front of Galatians 2.20, it talks about we are justified by the faith of Jesus, not faith in Jesus. I'm not gonna preach on that tonight. I could, that is a powerful truth. And the benefit of this It it is so powerful once you understand that it's not just me putting my inferior faith into a superior God, but when you get born again, God gives you his faith. You were so destitute that you couldn't even believe on your own. You have to have faith imparted unto you and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You couldn't get born again without the word of God. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, that Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God that lives and abides forever. God literally gave us his word. His words contain faith in it. It's like every word of God contains faith in it. It's like a little capsule filled with, with uh, faith. And the way you get the faith of God is by hearing the Word of God. And then that faith is released in your heart. And you have to take that faith that came through God's Word to believe and receive. With human faith, you cannot believe for salvation. I know some of you are looking at me like, I don't understand the importance of what you're saying. This is super important that you understand that it's not just your faith in God. And so therefore you say, well, you know, Andrew's faith is strong and he's seen a son raised from the dead and he's seen a blind eye open and boy, you've got strong faith. And I know I've got faith, but mine's just a little puny faith. See, if you think that that's the reason that you think God can only flow through certain people and that you don't doubt that God can do it. You just don't think you have enough faith. But if you could understand that when you got born again, you didn't use your faith In God, God gave you his faith. You literally had his supernatural faith imputed unto you and you used his faith to get born again. It says in Romans chapter four, verse 17, I believe it is, that God calls those things which be not as though they were, talking about his faith. And so God's faith can say something that there is no physical evidence for, something that is not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And people, so faith, God's kind of faith is not limited to just what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. The reason that's important is because when you got born again, you were believing in things you couldn't see or hear or feel. If all you were using is human faith, like I've had people before take a chair And set it on the stage and say, it's faith to sit in a chair that you've never sat in before. Because how do you know that that chair is going to hold you up? It's faith to drive through an intersection when you see a green light. Because you're you're having faith that the other people are seeing a red light. And you're having faith that they're going to stop. And they use that as an example of faith. They say it's faith to ride in an airplane. You don't know how an airplane works. You don't even know who the pilot is. And yet you get on there and you are flying by faith. That's human faith because it's got physical, tangible things that you're basing that faith on. Like for instance, if I set a chair up here that only had three legs instead of four legs, and if the thing was wobbly and you could see it moving, and I said, come sit in this chair, you, you wouldn't sit in that chair if your eyes told you that it wasn't trustworthy. Or maybe even a better example is if I said, Sit in this chair, and you can't see a chair. Your human faith, you wouldn't try and sit in a chair that you couldn't see. But when it comes to being born again, you're believing for things that you can't see. You're believing that there's a God. You've never seen God. You're believing that there's a devil. You've never seen the devil. You believe that there's a heaven. You believe that there's a hell. You believe that there are sins. You've never seen a sin. You've seen people commit sins, but I mean, what does a sin look like? How would you know if your sins were forgiven? It's not like if you had a spot and if you were healed, it would be gone. You're believing for things that you can't see. With human faith, you can't do things that aren't based on some physical proof. And yet when you got born again, you believe for things that you couldn't see, that you couldn't prove. How could you do that? Because that's the way God's faith is. God's faith calls those things that be not as though they were. And God literally infused you with his faith. He gave you his faith when you heard the word, faith came to you and it's his supernatural faith. Boy, this is important that you get this. Because once I understood this, then I quit saying, well, I know that faith works. The problem is I just don't have any of it or I don't have much of it, or I don't have a very good quality of faith. And once I understood that when I got born again, I was given God's supernatural faith, then I quit despising the faith that I had. I started recognizing that since it's not my faith, it was a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Well, then it's his faith. It's capable of doing anything he is capable of doing. I just had to discover how to use it. It's God's faith. You were given God's faith. You got born again by using a supernatural faith. And did you know that getting born again is infinitely easier than being healed? It's absolutely true. Before you were born again... You hadn't been fasting, studying, paying your tithes, going to church, living holy. Many of you were out living in sin. And yet you heard the news that God loves you and that salvation was a gift and He'd just forgive you if you'd just receive it. And you heard that and you believed and you didn't have any holiness or good works to your name and yet you reached out and received the greatest gift that you could ever receive as basically an immature person that didn't have any holiness or record with the Lord and yet now some of you have been born again for 20 years and you can't even get over a headache you can't even get over just a little hurt and a pain and you, and you say well my face just not strong enough man you believe for the greatest miracle of all which is being born again Anything, being healed of uh, blindness, deafness, dumbness, uh, being raised from the dead, none of those things are near as important as your salvation experience. And you've already got the faith on the inside of you that raised you from the dead spiritually. You could see blind eyes open, deaf ears open, all of these things. You've got the faith. You've already got the faith of the Son of God Romans chapter 12, verse 3, the very end of that verse says that you are supposed to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man. The context, if you study it, shows that this is talking about every man or woman who has believed on him. As God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Again, if you're reading the nearly inspired version, it says a measure of faith, but it literally is saying the measure of faith. There aren't different measures. There aren't different amounts. Every person who's been born again, if Jesus has been your Lord, if you have made him your Lord, and if you know that you have passed from death unto life, then you have the faith of the Son of God. Not a small portion of it, you have the faith. You know, it's like if we had a soup kitchen or something and if I was serving everybody and if you came by and if all of you had a bowl and if I had a ladle and if I used that ladle, if that was the measure, this ladle, then every time I dipped and filled up a person's bowl, everybody would get the measure. But if I used a big old ladle sometimes and then another times I used a spoon and then another times I used an eyedropper and another time I just... I don't know, put a little tiny drop in your deal. You know, there would be different measures. Basically, this is what most Christians believe that some people, when they got born again, just got a lot of God and they got a really powerful dose of the Holy Ghost and they just have faith and power and other people, I just don't have very much. You are given the measure. I don't have any more faith than any person in here. Nobody else in here has any more faith than I have. We were all given the exact same measure. Boy, it's important that you get that so that you quit putting people into different categories and saying, well, I just don't have this. You do have what you need. You got more than what you need. More doubt and unbelief more more wrong teaching and stuff. But you've got everything that you need. But see, one of the reasons that it doesn't work is because of what I'm trying to get to tonight, talking about words. People haven't understood the power of words. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 11. I read verse one already. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which, are not, things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That's a little awkward in the wording in the King James, but it's just basically saying that God created the heavens with his words. He spoke them, they were framed. This word that was framed is the same word that's used over in Ephesians chapter four when it says that the body is fitly joined together by that which every joint uh, compacted, by that which every joint supplies. It's talking about, matter of fact, this same word was translated when it talked about uh, Peter and Andrew were on the shores mending their net. The word mending, it's the same word. The universe was put together, framed, fitly joined together together by the words of God. This is how God released his power. God is the source of all power. He's the source of all life. You and I came from God. God is the creator of everything and the way that he created it is by words. You'll hear people say that God reached down with his hands and he formed man and he slung the stars out in space and did all of these things. And it's okay to say that for the purpose of an analogy, but literally he didn't do anything with his hands. He spoke the worlds into existence. He spoke them. You know, I saw a DVD recently by a man. I think that this was over here in England. I'm not sure where he was, but he talked kind of like y'all. But he was talking about the sun and how big the sun was. I think, I forget all of the details, but I think it's 160 something times as large as the earth. And the temperature of the sun is something like 6,000 degrees. I don't know if that was Fahrenheit, Celsius, what it is, but it's hot. And then he compared it with two other suns. And the other suns were like a 100,000 times as big as our sun. He took a golf ball and he said, if this golf ball was the earth, then that means that the sun would be 15 feet in diameter and he had a prop like that. And then he compared it to this other sun and it would have been uh, like a 100,000 times bigger than that and then he compared it to a third son that they've discovered that is over a hundred times bigger than that. And think that all of that came out of the mouth of the Lord. Let me read this verse to you. I wrote some of these things down so that I wouldn't forget this. But look at this in Psalms 33 verse six. It says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Think of this God breathed, he spoke the sun into existence. Think how big that sun is and how hot it is, and that all came out of his mouth. That's not a symbolism. In uh, Hebrews 11:3, I quoted that, "The worlds were framed by the Word of God. They were knit together. they were mended, they were put together by the words that He spoke, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. In Psalms 148, verse three, it says, "Praise ye him, sun and moon, praise him, all ye stars of light, praise Him, ye heaven of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens." Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. Here again is another reference to how God created everything. He created it by words. Boy, here is a great, great truth that if you could understand this, it would would revolutionize the way that you respond to the Lord. That words, God is the creator. Words are how he created everything. So words are the creative force Everything that was created by words, which is everything, will respond to words. Words are the parent force. Words are the creator. And God spoke everything into existence. And everything on this planet responds to words. You know, I'm beginning to get into some things over my head right here. I'll just use this as a brief example and I'll get back to the word. (laughs) But some friends of mine, Don and Wendy Francisco, Wendy Francisco is really into this, um, oh, I even forgot what they call it now. Anybody know what I'm thinking about? This would be a word of knowledge. (laughs) But anyway, it's some kind of a scientific uh, study well, I should know the name of this. But anyway, quantum physics. She's really into studying quantum physics. And some of you will think that this is a lie. But this, I've, I've actually looked it up on the internet and read some about it. And there are scientists, people with degrees saying these things. That, you know, an atom, how they've described an atom, that it has a nucleus and then it has electrons that go around about the atom and things like this. Quantum physics says that those things are like that when you're looking at them because that's the way that you have seen them and that's the way that you've been taught but, but they can actually exist in different forms. It just depends. They actually are beginning to start trying to come up with some things that this all of the things that we've taken for granted, it's really controlled by thoughts and words and if you think differently, they can exist differently. Now, I know that doesn't sound real, but there's a whole branch. That's an oversimplification. It shows you how simple I am. Amen. I probably didn't represent that well. But they're saying that literally you can see things, they change. They've actually taken some electron microscope photographs of things and they look differently when somebody is looking at them than they do when people aren't looking at them. And I know some of you are thinking now, wait a minute, (laughs) but you know, and I'm not going to base my doctrine on that, but I believe that that verifies, I believe it verifies what I'm saying, that words created this. God spoke the worlds into existence and you know what? They can, things can be altered by words. Words are what created this universe. It says over in Hebrews chapter one, verse three that Jesus is the express image of the Father. You know, I, I better read that or I'm going to mess it up. But let me look this up. In Hebrews chapter 1 and in verse 3, who bring, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. That word express image means a perfect representation, an identical copy It's an exact thing. It's not just a vague representation. It's not like God's up here and Jesus is down here. Jesus is perfect. He represented God perfectly. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This says that he upholds all things by the uh, word of his power. Some translations say the power of his word. Words created the universe. The worlds were framed by the word of God out of his mouth, out of his breath came the sun, the moon, the stars, everything was spoken into existence. And this verse says that he upholds all things by the power of his word. Words created everything and words hold it together. Now, this is something that scientists agree on. I have had this verified and I do understand this. They say that every atom in it, in the universe, has like charged particles in the nucleus. And according to everything that we know, like charged particles repulse each other. Like for instance, if you take a magnet and put the positive end of a magnet to the another positive end of a magnet, they'll move apart. They repulse each other. And according to everything scientists know, uh, every atom should be coming apart because it's got these particles in it that are repulsed. And yet there is a force that holds them together. And this isn't just limited to atoms. They say the same thing. They, you know, you've heard about black holes. I've done a little bit of study. And in astronomy, they now come up with, um, I forgot what they call them, dark light, I think is what they call it. And there's a force in the universe that these things should be flying apart and they call this thing dark light that holds everything in its relative place. And so scientists don't totally understand what is it that holds everything together because we can only split a couple of unstable atoms like uranium, plutonium. But you know, I heard Oral Roberts one time say that in a slice of bread, there is enough energy that if you could... If you could split the atoms in a slice of bread, you could power an ocean liner across the Atlantic and back. There's that much energy in a slice of bread, but nobody knows how to split these stable atoms. We can only do it with unstable atoms. What is it that holds everything together? It's the power of His Word. He upholds all things by the power of His Word. He created every atom, every molecule, everything, and He commanded it to be that way, and it's held together by the power of His Word. And boy, there's a lot of benefit to understanding that because here's another thing that comes out of that. If God's Word, if the integrity, the power of His Word is what holds this universe together and keeps it from self-destructing, then that means as long as everything is going the way that God created it to be, this is a proof to you that God has never broken his word. He's never violated it or the entire universe would self-destruct. As long as there still is the universe and the world and us and as long as things continue along the normal line, then that means he is holding everything together by the power of his word. He has never violated his word. He has never broken his word. He's never failed one time. Words created everything physical. You know, I don't know if I need to even do this with this group or not, but let me just say that there is an attitude that's crept into the body of Christ that even Christians will go to embracing that evolution just happened without God. God didn't create these things. This is just a process of natural things over millennia and and even Christians have embraced that. I tell you what, you are really missing out on a lot of understanding about God and who he is, if you believe that, because the scripture makes it very clear. Matter of fact, if I can talk quick enough, I'm going to go through some of these scriptures in Genesis and the whole evolutionary model does not fit scripture. Some people say, Oh yeah, it does because a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. Uh, that's not even close. For evolution to work, it takes billions and millions of years for all these things to happen. Plus, in the Genesis account, he created light uh, three days before there was a source for light to come from. It's all out of the evolutionary model. They teach that it started with the simple one cells and then graduated up. That's not the way that God uh, reveals it in the book of Genesis. So it doesn't fit. Creationism and evolution uh, evolution do not fit together. And I tell you, there's a lot of people today that just haven't understood how miraculous everything that around us is. God created these things. He spoke it out of his mouth. The sun came out of the mouth of Jesus. You need a revelation of that. These words that we have right here, came out of the same mouth that created the sun, the moon, the stars, all of the universe. They were framed by the Word of God. This is how God released His power. And remember, it's His faith that you were given. It's not just your faith in Him, but He literally gave you His faith. So it has to work according to His rules. It's not your faith. You can't do it the way you want to do it. It's His faith. How does His faith work? He spoke everything into existence and if you are going to use his faith then you've got to get to where you start understanding the power of words and how powerful they are and you've got to start believing and and controlling the words that you speak here's another verse out of uh john chapter 1 verse 3 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god jesus is called the word the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1 says this in more detail. It goes into more length. There's about seven or eight verses there that just talks about that Jesus is the firstborn of everything. He's the beginning of everything. Without Him, nothing consists without Him. I'm saying the same thing right here in John chapter 1. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, the Word, spoke everything into existence. The reason I'm emphasizing this is for you to recognize that this is how God operates. And if you are going to flow in the supernatural, you've got to start understanding the power of your words. And most people do not understand the power of their words. And that's the reason that we say the things that we say. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. And let me also just add, expand this by saying that it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. What that means is you're deceived if you think, that you can listen to other people speak bad words and it not affect you. There's a lot of people think, oh, I'm a strong Christian. I know the truth. And it doesn't matter if I sit down and listen to somebody blaspheme God. If I sit there and watch adultery and things that are contrary to the values of God, it doesn't matter. I'm strong. I can handle it. You're deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners is what the scripture says. And brothers and sisters, in case you haven't noticed, we do not live in a Christian world. We live in an ungodly society that glorifies anything and everything but the things that God does. You know, we just got through with our graduation in the United States and I made a point of this, pointing out that the people who are on our magazines and the people who are revered and the people who we look up to today are people who are adulterers. They're ungodly people. They're movie stars who maybe act and look beautiful, but you could take all of their integrity and put it in a thimble and it would rattle around in there. It would be nearly empty. We put people on our magazine covers that we glorify them because of their body, because of their sports talents, because they're powerful as a politician or something, and yet they are ungodly to the max. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, those who honor me, I will honor. That was God speaking. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. I can guarantee you when we stand before God, all of the movers and shakers of this world, the people that are on all of these entertainment programs and that get the awards, the Academy Awards and the Globe Awards and all of the music awards, I don't think that those people are going to be revered by God. I don't think God's going to say, oh, look who's here. (laughs) There are many of you that just, oh, I wished I could be like this person. And I guarantee that person is ungodly to the max. And we are being, we are being bombarded with that stuff. And we think, oh, well, I know that it's not right, but I just use it for entertainment. Don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. We listen to things and hear people lie all of the time. And we have been numb to lying to where, you know, an exaggeration, a stretching of the truth. That's just kind of the way it is. And we don't think a lot about it. The Bible says that a godly man will swear to his own hurt and change not. Even if it's going to cost you, if it's going to hurt you, a godly person will say something and never back off of what they say. Even if they made a mistake, they will not say, whoops time's out. I didn't mean it. I'm not going to honor that. No, if you're a godly person, you're going to hold to your word. And we live in a culture that doesn't value these things. And whether you know it or not, because of it, it has affected the way that we value our own words and the way that we value God's word. We need to change this. We need to get back to looking at things the way that God does. So I'm saying it's evident by the way we live, by the way we talk, by the things we watch and listen to, that most of us do not put this importance on words. But I'm telling you that God, the creator, put this importance on words. He spoke everything that exists into existence and he upholds it by the integrity of his word. He has never deviated from his word. He's never violated his word. The scripture says in James chapter 1 that in him there is no shadow of turning, no variableness, nor shadow of turning. He doesn't ever change. He means what he said and he said what he meant and he has never changed. And if you are going to start seeing the power of God released in your life, the raising from the dead power, you're going to have to adopt his way of thinking. We're going to have to start doing it his way and his way is that words are important. The only reason that our words haven't completely destroyed us, and I have to put a qualification on that because they are destroying us. We are hung by the tongue. Proverbs 23, seven, as you think in your heart, so are you. And then the way you think controls the way you talk. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 35 and 36, that every idle word that men speak they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words, you shall be justified. And by your words, you shall be condemned. Every idle word, the word idle means nonproductive. In other words, many of us, there are certain times that we, you know, we have to say, this is the truth. I promise you, this is the truth. Jesus said, let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay. Don't ever have to say that I'm telling you the truth. Everything you say ought to be the truth. But we're going to give an account for every word that has ever been spoken. Words are important. Our society doesn't believe that. Most of us have been brought up with that kind of an attitude. We don't value it. And so we say all kinds of terrible things. But I'm telling you that if you're going to start seeing the power of God manifest in your life, this is how Jesus said you do it. You have to start watching what you say. You have to believe that every word you say comes to pass. And if you start saying things that you don't mean, every time you do that, you numb your heart. You make your heart just a little bit more crusted over, hardened to believing that the words you say come to pass because you say all kinds of things that you don't mean. And every time you listen to another person say something that they don't mean, it makes you a little bit more insensitive to this and it keeps faith from working in your life the way it should. The only reason every one of us isn't dead because of the words we say is because we haven't believed it with our heart. And it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, that with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You have to confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. The only reason that keeps you from falling over dead when you say, oh, that tickled me to death is because you didn't mean it. And so it doesn't release its power if it's not mixed with faith. Hebrews chapter four, verse two says, the word preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You have to put faith with the word in order to get the right results. And so the only reason that we just aren't all totally dead and sick and diseased and destroyed is because we don't mean every single negative thing we say. But on the other hand, that also has gotten us to where we don't even believe it when we say it, uh, the right things. We haven't trained ourselves to believe the things we say and because of it, it's hindering us from receiving from God because we say things. We'll say, oh, I believe I'm healed. But do you believe it? You've got to train yourself to believe it. And so God always means the things that he says. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the, word, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. This is just saying that the worlds and the water and the land standing above the water was created by the word of God. Let me turn over to Genesis and I want you to just see some of these verses in Genesis chapter one. In Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God, and I like the way the Bible starts. He didn't try and prove God. He didn't give you all of this evidence. He just said in the beginning, God. And you know what? You don't have to try and prove God to anybody. The scriptures make it very clear. Romans chapter one, verse 18 through 20, that every, every person that has ever breathed on this planet has an intuitive knowledge of God on the inside of him. They are convicted of their ungodliness and they know the eternal power and Godhead and they are without excuse. When people tell you they don't believe there's a God, they're lying to themselves. It is not true. There may be somebody that's here tonight. Maybe you were drugged here by a fanatic and you say, no, I don't believe there's a God. You do too somebody sticks a gun to your head, you go, oh God, you call on this God that you say you don't believe. You know, in Vietnam, I had a lot of people tell me that they didn't believe that there was a God and I'd try and witness to them. But then when the bombs got to dropping and the bullets flying, these guys were crying out to God at the top of their lungs. There's a saying that there are no uh, atheists in foxholes. And I've been in war and I've seen it. And I guarantee you, when a person, somebody puts a gun to their head, they will cry out to the God that they say they don't believe in. You are into a mind game if you are thinking that there isn't a God. You know that there's a God. And if you get quiet, this little homing device that God placed on the inside of you starts going off and you start thinking about, is this all that there is? Did I really, did this complex thing evolve from a piece of slime That's just, it takes more faith than I've got to believe in evolution. (laughs) I heard a story one time that if uh, a lightning bolt struck a plant where all of these parts were, and if that lightning bolt could somehow or another make a 747 jet that was perfectly put together, every rivet in place, the thing fueled up and ready to fly, that that is about one billionth the possibility of lightning striking and causing life, something that was alive and that could reproduce itself. And yet anybody who would believe that you could strike a warehouse with lightning and all of these parts come together and it makes a plane that could fly, if you believe that, you just need help. (laughs) And yet creation is infinitely bigger than that infinitely bigger than that. I've heard that if you put a bomb in a printing shop and if it, if it went off and caused all of the type to align properly, and then it printed a Bible and correlated it and bound it and did it perfectly with zero mistakes, that that is about 1 billionth the chance of happening as evolution. It's just astronomically impossible. I was a math major and anything beyond, I think it's 10 to the 12th power is mathematically impossible. Math writes it off as being impossible if it's 10 to the 12th power or something like that. And evolution is something like 10 to the 700 and something trillionth power. And every time you go like from the 10th power to the 11th power, that's 10 times as impossible. And it's just, it's staggering. None of this stuff happened accidentally. God created it. And it's only modern man who is so swelled up with our own arrogance and we're so proud of what we can do that we think that these things could have happened. Nobody in a rational mind, no generation before would have ever believed that these things happened randomly. That just defies logic. So it just starts off by saying in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. End of the discussion, right there. And in verse two, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And look at this in verse three. And God said, let there be light. God spoke it into existence. This is how light came into being. God said, let there be light. And I'm going to come back to this, but look down in verse 14. That was on the first day of creation. On the fourth day of creation, Genesis chapter one, verse 14, it says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. God created light on the first day of creation and he didn't create a source for light to come from until the fourth day of creation. Boy, this will mess with your brain. Some people think this can't be. That's because we think so differently than God. God calls those things which be not as though they were. He created light four days before there was a source for light to come from. And how did he do it? He said, let there be lights. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. He created, as that verse we read out of Psalms 33, 6, I believe it was, said that it came out of the breath. His breath created the sun and the moon and the stars. He spoke them into existence. Oh that's powerful. Most of us think you can't do that. God can. and God said that He has given us this power. You know I could I could take rabbit trails here and just say so many different things that would help you, but I'm trying to stay on target. But did you know that this is this is why it is so powerful that you understand that we are the only creation that can speak. Now, you can take a parrot and it can say a few words. It can, you know, we say that you're just parroting something. That means it's not speaking out of its heart. There can't be any faith mixed with it because all it's doing is mimicking sounds. That's not what I'm talking about. But we are the only creation that God made that has this ability to put thoughts together and speak from our heart and express things. This is one of the things that made us in the image of God. We are the only creation that has this ability to put words to feeling and communicate and say things. It is powerful. It is super powerful. And the sad thing is that today, words, communication is being used nearly exclusively to communicate negative values, negative things, to come against everything that is good. And there is still power in those words. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. It didn't say life only, it says death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Sad to say, most of the words that are being communicated today are negative words that are hurting and causing problems instead of good things. We don't even really understand the true power of words. We only see it working for the negative, but the creative power of words for good is awesome. It is awesome. And we just don't employ it. We need to recognize that this is how God created things. So going back to verse three, God said, let there be light. And there was light in verse six, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Originally there was water completely covering this earth and the Lord created a firmament, which we call heaven or space. And he took water from this earth. There is other water out there in the universe someplace, because this firmament is where he put the sun, the moon, and the stars. So on the other side of all of that someplace, there is a bunch of water. I personally believe that it's heaven because in heaven it talks about that there's the water uh, that flows down the middle and the tree of life grows on each side of it and things like this. And so I believe that in heaven, heaven is a place and somewhere out there, there's a lot of water. But in this place that we call space, he took it and separated it and made this space. And he did that on the second day of creation By speaking it, he said, let there be a firmament and instantly this water separated and all of the expanse that we know of as space was created by the word that God spoke. You know, there's other places in scripture that says that he holds the universe in the span of his hand. The word span means width of your hand. The whole universe fits into the hand of God. That is awesome. You know, the Hubble Space Telescope, they say that the, that the um, universe is just limitless. It's billions and billions of light years across. And all of that fits into the span of his hand. That's how awesome God is. And how did he do all of that universe and all of this space? He spoke it. He said it. And those words created all of this. In verse 9, it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. All of the volcanoes, all of the mountains, all of the things that caused the earth to push up and uh, come up above the water were created by the word of God. I'm sure that every one of us have seen something about a volcano and an eruption and all of this. And that's just a very small part of what happened when all of this land pushed up out of this water, and it was all done by the word of God. God spoke and made it happen. And that's amazing. In verse eleven, and God said, Let the earth bring forth grass. The herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. You know, in the King James, this is really wordy and some people just skip over this and think, well, this is old English or middle English. I had somebody correct me on that. Anyway, it's ancient English. (laughs) And they just say, well, you know, it's just weird the way that it's said. But this is very important the way that it's said. If God would have just said, let the earth bring forth grass let the earth bring forth trees. If that's what he would have said, then you know when the grass died, when trees died, he would have had to create more trees, more grass. It's very specific the way he said it. He said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself. What he did, he spoke these things into existence in a way that he doesn't have to keep creating. He created the original plant life on this earth and put seeds in it and spoke it so that it could reproduce. And he's never had to create more plant life or animal life or human life. He created everything in a way that it can procreate. It was very specific the way that he said it. Again, we don't value words. And so we just look at this and think, man, I could have said it in a lot less words. But you know what, you couldn't have said it near as well as what God said it. There was a very specific reason that he spoke things the way that he did. And it it loses its impact on people that don't believe in the power of words. But once you begin to understand this, you see how important it was the way that he said things. This is very important. It's important the way that you say things. And so I already read this verse down in verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. And God created the sun, the moon and every star came out of his mouth. He spoke it into existence. In verse 20, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created every fowl of the air And all of the fish and all of the animals that are in the sea by words, he spoke life into existence. In verse 22, he blessed them by saying, he didn't just make a sign like this or something and you're blessed. He spoke a blessing. A blessing is spoken words. God's spoken favor over you and that's how he released it. In verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and the beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. God created every animal on the face of the earth. He spoke it into existence. And then the crowning jewel of God's creation in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God spoke us into existence. There were six days of creation, six different times it talks about right here. God spoke, God said, and everything that God created was framed by the word of God. It was mended, it was fitly joined together, compacted through the word of God. God spoke everything into existence. He spoke you and me into existence and therefore everything that is created by words responds to words. And whether you know it or not, you respond to words. Sickness responds to words. Poverty responds to words. There's so many examples where the Lord told Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37 to go out and stand and prophesy to these bones. Most of us today think this is really weird. Here's a whole valley of people that had just been slain. There was thousands and thousands of dead bodies and bones. And God said, prophesy to these bones and tell them to live. And so he prophesied and they stood up. All of these bones came together and stood up. And then he says, now prophesy flesh. And he spoke over them and commanded flesh to come upon them. And then he prophesied and said, let the winds come and breath come into them and a mighty army stood up. He prophesied it. Now, I personally believe that that was symbolic in Ezekiel chapter 37. I don't think that a a, a million people were just raised from the dead and things like this, but nonetheless, it shows the power of words. When you go to prophesying, words they're powerful you can change the course of nature with words that is really powerful you know in the united states i'm not going to go through this whole thing but the lord blessed us we are in a growth process we have to have a new campus we got a 157 acres with a beautiful lodge on it for not much more than the price of just the lodge we nearly had it given to us it was a god deal So we've got it. We've now got plans together. If you were to get on our U.S. uh, website, you can see a virtual tour of our buildings and what they look like, and it's really nice. But we've got uh, a neighborhood. There's uh, three sides that are bounded by national forest and roads, and so there's no neighbors. We've got just a few neighbors on the west side of this property, and they don't want us moving there. So they've been fighting this. And you know what? I've We've had a lot of other things going on and we've been developing the plans and drawing them. And so it hadn't been time. And so anyway, I, every time I drive by that property, I speak something over it. I say something, thank you, Father, for the sanctuary. That's what we're calling this piece of property. The word sanctuary means a place dedicated to the glory of God. And so I, I thank God for him. I thank him for all the things that he's doing. And I've been thanking him and praising him for it. But these neighbors have now fought us for like 14 or 15 months over this thing. And it's just unreasonable what they're doing. They can't stop us. They're just hoping that we'll quit and give up. And so what I started doing a couple of months ago, I started doing exactly what we're talking about. And I started saying, Father, you said that I could have what I say. There's power in my words. And I started speaking that Westwood Lake subdivision is releasing us. Whatever the problem is, it's over. I believe that you are sending people in there to help us, that you are changing the hearts of people, but this is over and I have what I say. And I have specifically for about the last couple of months, every time I drive by, I say something about that and say, I believe that my words are powerful. And did you know for 14 months, there has been zero movement. And just a few days before we came over here, the guy who handles all this for us, says that they called, they've set up a meeting on June the 1st, which is what, Tuesday or something like that, and says they've already got a a conditional agreement to release us and allow the building to go forward. We haven't signed it yet. We have to look at it to make sure we agree with it. But I'm saying that there hadn't been any movement for 14 months and then all of a sudden, now they're ready to release, everything's working out. And some people think, well, I wonder why that happened. I know why it happened, because there's power in words. And I know some of you are thinking, I don't believe that. Well, then it won't work for you. But as I go through this and keep talking about it, I'm going to share some things with you, and hopefully you'll begin to see that this is powerful. This is how God created the heavens and the earth. This is how God releases His power. And if you are going to release the power of God... He's not going to conform to your way of doing things. You're going to have to learn how to do things His way. You're going to have to start learning the power of words. You're going to have to start making your words count. You're going to have to get to where you quit saying things that you don't mean. You're going to have to get to where you quit listening to other people say things that they don't mean and listen to lies. Every time you do that, it deadens you to the supernatural power of God. And brothers and sisters, we live in a culture that does not speak the truth. You know, again, I, I know that you could do the same thing if you come over to the U.S. But when we come over here, we were here, you know, people talk about Obama and I'm not going to sit here and say a lot about Obama, but I guarantee you, <laughs> Obama is not what he appears to be. And yet, people over here have been told something that isn't true. Like the, the second thing that Obama did, the very first thing he did was fund, totally fund abortions and remove every restriction off of abortions in the United States. That's the first executive order he did. The second one was take a bust of Winston Churchill out of the White House because he hates Britain. You hadn't heard that, but that's the truth. And you know what? There's people that they, you're just being told things that aren't true. And if you were to come over to the US, I'm sure that you would hear many of the things we think about England and about Britain. You'd say, well, that's not the way it is, but that's the way that media tends to be. They report on the sensational. They report on the controversial. They'll make controversy if there isn't any. And so what I'm saying is we just swallow all of this stuff. I remember being in Romania back before the Berlin Wall came down and I was visiting with some people, or excuse me, it wasn't Romania, it was Hungary. And I was visiting with some people in Budapest and they had spent two years in the United States. And I said, so what is your biggest impression about the United States? And they said, well, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah. And they said, you are gullible. Says we were brought up under communism. And we have been lied to and we have been brought up on propaganda and we have been taught not to trust all the stuff we hear. And they said, we were amazed when we were in the United States. If it's on the news, you believe it. And you know what? That's not only true of the United States, that's true of UK. That's true of a lot of people. We are being lied to. There are things that are wrong, wrong, wrong that are being said and that we believe in it. And every time you believe a lie, it confuses your heart. And it takes away some of the power in words. And we get to where we expect politicians to say nearly anything. And then when they get elected, they get in and do whatever they want to. And that's just the way that it's done. I tell you what, that is an ungodly trait. And many of us have been more influenced by the world than we have influenced the world. And there needs to be a radical change in this area and we need to begin to start understanding the power of words when you mix it with faith. And if you could understand this, this is one of the most powerful things that you can do. The Bible says in uh, James chapter 3 that you can bridle your whole body with your tongue. You put a bit in the horse's mouth and you turn about their entire body. Likewise, you can bridle your body with the tongue. I don't know how many of you have ever dealt with horses, but a horse, God made them so that a horse can't do anything without its head. A horse cannot run that direction with its head turn this direction. If a horse starts running away, of course you try and rein it in, but if for whatever reason, it's not responding to the bit, you know how you can always stop a horse from running away from you? You just take one rein, you turn its head to the side, And I guarantee you that horse cannot run that direction with its head turned to the side. It's impossible. God made it that way. A horse follows its head. So you turn that horse and that horse will start turning in circles and it'll eventually slow down. You can stop a horse if you know what you're doing. A horse cannot get down on the ground unless it falls, but it can't get down on the ground unless it's put its head down first. So if you're riding a horse and if it wants to get down and roll and get you off, all you got to do is hold its head up and that horse cannot get on the ground without putting its head down first. A horse can't rear back unless it throws its head back. So that's what they call a tie down. You put a tie down on a horse and put it to the girth and it keeps that horse from throwing its head up and you can't a horse can't rear up unless it throws its head up first. If a horse is on the ground, I did this to a horse. You can take a 2000 pound horse And you can put your foot on that horse's head and that horse cannot get up unless it throws its head up first. You hold its head down and you can keep that 2,000 pound body on the ground with all of this muscle. And that's the reason that a bit works. If you put a bit in a horse's mouth and control their mouth, you can control their entire body. And that's the exact parallel that James chapter three is using. If you got to where you could control your mouth and the words, you could bridle your entire body. You can speak and command sickness to leave your body. You can command disease to leave your body and it will obey you. I know some of you think, I can't believe this. Well, that's the reason it doesn't work for you. <laughs> but that's how powerful your words are. This is how God created us. It's how he created the universe infections, germs, viruses, anything that is alive was created by words and you can talk to them. You can command infection out of your body. You can command disease out of your body. You can command pain to leave your body and it will obey you. It will respond to you if you believe it, if you understand the power of words. And I know what I'm saying is just absolutely foreign to a lot of people. And it's obvious because you don't use your words that way. And so, praise God, we need some teaching in this area. And so, this whole week, I'm going to be sharing with you about the power that is in faith filled words and how God created it. But I would start it off by just drawing you a picture to say that this is how God created everything words are the parent force, words are powerful. Words are one of the things that made us in God's image. It's a God-like quality to be able to speak. And sad to say, we aren't using our words for the positive. We're using our words to speak our doubts, our fears, negative things, to hurt people. It goes on to say in James chapter 3, it says, Out of the same fountain proceeds salt water and fresh, bitter and fresh water at the same time. These things ought not to be, and it was talking about your words. He created us with this power to speak these faith-filled words, and instead, most of us speak bad words, negative words. Out of the same fountain comes blessing and cursing. It shouldn't be this way. We could get to where we could use our words to speak forth positive things, and I tell you, it'll change your life. It'll totally transform things. And so I'm going to continue along these lines. I'll quit here tonight. I don't ever finish. I just quit. And we'll continue tomorrow morning talking about this some more. But let me make this application. It says in Romans chapter 10, what do you have to do to be saved? Do you have to ascend into heaven? Does that mean do you have to be holy enough that you could get into heaven on your own? No, because that would be like denying the fact that Jesus came down from heaven and he did this for you. So do you have to go into hell? Do you have to suffer and pay for your own sins? There's many uh, quote unquote Christian denominations that teach that, that you have to do penance for your sin. And they will actually have all of these things that you have to go through. But the Bible says, no, that would be like denying the fact that Jesus went and paid for your sins for you. You don't have to ascend into heaven. You don't have to go into hell. But what is it? What does the word say? It says, this is the word which we preach. The word is nigh you, even in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach, Romans 10, 9, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And this is exactly what I've been talking about tonight. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, that's more than just mouthing the words. You got to believe it in your heart that he's Lord. That doesn't mean that you're promising you'll never make a mistake because you can't keep that. But you have to say, I want you to be Lord. I'm turning my life over. Here it is. And you'll not keep it perfectly, but that is your commitment. You want to give him control of your life. You make Him Lord. You confess it with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is alive from the dead and the Bible says you shall be saved. It is not based on you promising to never do anything wrong again. It's not based on your own goodness or holiness. Jesus died and paid for all of your sins and all you've got to do is receive it by confessing with your mouth and believing from your heart